in his word in Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Everybody doing okay? You did it. You totally made it. You went through the frozen tundra of Shawnee to come here and be at church today. I want to thank you guys for doing that. Um, we say it every Sunday, particularly today, you could have stayed at home and you didn't. And so really glad that you're here. And uh, there's several in the room that may have questions about our church or questions about anything that we say or sing or um, or questions about Christianity, uh, whatever. Whatever your question is, we would love to try our best to answer it. Uh, we're here for you and really, really proud of you for showing up today and really glad that you came. Okay, uh, my name is Ben. I'm a, a lead pastor here at Frontline Shawnee. And um, we're gonna be going through the book of Acts or the first chapter of Acts today, all right? So the next couple of weeks, uh, the next actually four weeks, counting this week, uh, we are going to study together what we as Frontline Church feel um, feel called to as a church. We are not uniquely called to these things, but it's kind of our statement. It's just so that everybody can get on the same page uh, and everybody can know, here's what we're after. Here are the things that we're after. It's all based on the Bible. It's all based on really acts, what the church should look like according to the Bible. And again, this is not unique to us. We have not somehow cornered the market on what church should be. Uh, there's a lots of great, healthy churches that are doing the exact same thing that we are. But our statement, just again, so that we can narrow down and, um, and sort of recenter ourselves on who we are frontline, particularly as a church. And the statement is this, we want to multiply gospel communities. All three of those words are intentional and they matter. To multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. So that's us, multiplying gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. It's not a slogan. It's not some uh, PR stunt. It's, it's for us to redefine exactly who we are and keep coming back to it, okay? So the next four weeks, we're going to recenter ourselves as we start the new year. And just to make sure that we are all, once again, on the same page. We're after the same thing. According to the book of Acts, this is what the church should look like. It should be a multiplying church. It should be a community of people, but that's not just a community. It's a gospel community. 
And it should, it should be people that love God first, primarily, and love people, and then push back darkness. Today, we're going to talk about multiplying gospel communities. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think this book of Acts is appropriate for us today because that is exactly what happened with them. Our tendency in the church is to think of Jesus' life as if he lived and died and rose from the dead and then he went off somewhere, which he did. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, but he's also omnipresent. That he went off somewhere and then all of his work was done. He got done. He, was, he had accomplished what he came to accomplish. And true enough, he said on the cross, it is finished. But he was not talking about the work. What he was talking about is it is finished. The payment for sin is done. And this chapter one, verse one, lets us see something that's so profound that I think is easy to miss. It says this, in this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that he began to do and teach. So it does us no good to just think that Jesus is gone and done with his work. Actually, what's happening is his work has just begun. And who he's chosen to work through and bring his kingdom through is you. If you're a Christian, you're a member of the church. Jesus is working through you. The Bible tells us that we are his body. We submit to him, we surrender to him, and we follow him as he is working. And this story today is the beginning of the work of Jesus. I want to look at a few things that the Bible tells us the church should be. Last week, we talked about who a Christian should be. It was true Christianity. We talked about a true Christian should pursue growth. A true Christian should uh, pursue unity within the body. Romans 12, we, a true Christian should pursue unity outside of the world. We talked about that. That's true Christianity. Today, we're going to talk about what a true church is, a group of Christians. I want to start with this. We have been called to something unique. The Bible says that we are set apart, a different type of people. And the first thing that we're called to is this, we're called to Jesus. And I know that sounds simple, but that is actually a really profound thing for us to agree on. I'm gonna start in verse one and read verse one through three. The church is called to Jesus. In this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We are called to Jesus. Hey, listen to me. This is not a social club. This is not, this is not a place. I'm glad, whatever got you here, I'm glad it got you here, but this is not a place to find people who think like you act like you, talk like you. That's not what this is. The church is different than that. The church is a group of people who did not deserve grace, but because of God's goodness, God gave them grace and saved them. That's what the church is. The church is a group of people who all, I don't know, think differently, maybe do different things, have had different experiences in life, maybe even vote differently. Hello. Amen. 
But they all have one thing in common. They come under the banner of I was lost, but I'm found because of the work of Christ. I'm a different age than whoever. I'm a different walk of life than whoever. I have a different paycheck than whoever. I have different struggles than them. But these people right next to me in this church, we can all agree we didn't deserve grace and we got it. And so we're gonna follow Jesus together. The church is called to Jesus. Look at the way it lays it out here. After he had given commands, when he taken up, when he's taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, we are called to his commands. First and foremost, we're called to his life, his suffering, and his kingdom. His commands, meaning this, if we're called to Jesus, we're called to be under him. He commands and we do it. You cannot identify yourself as a Christ follower, which is Christian, if we are not obedient to Christ. Uh, Jesse Ingram preached two weeks back, three weeks back, I can't remember, but it's really close, <laughs> and uh, on Philippians 4. And one of the things he said that was so profound, I thought, was when he talked about the difference between um, obedience and trust, the order to which we expect those to come. Most of us expect trust to come first. So what I mean is this, we will say, God, if you will prove, Jesus, if you will prove to me that you are trustworthy, and really what we're saying is if you will prove to me that you'll give me the thing that I think I need, not the thing that I truly need, which only you know, if you will prove to me that you're trustworthy, then I will be obedient. That's the return on investment, Jesus. Prove to me, you've got some proving to do, I don't quite trust you. Prove to me that you're trustworthy and then I will obey you. But really, that's not the Christian life at all, not even a little bit. Obedience comes before trust. We obey and then we trust Jesus. That's what it means to submit to his commands. We can't call ourselves a Christ follower if we do not obey Christ's teachings. We have to submit our ideas about a whole lot of things to him. God, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Whatever he says, according to his word and according to the gospel community he's given us, we obey Jesus. We go, I think that the Lord's saying this according to his word. And then trust comes. We are called to his life. It says he presented himself alive to them. He presented himself. I'm alive, Jesus said. It's not done. I'm not, it's not over Look at my life that I have lived. We are called to obey and then to follow the pattern of life that Jesus lived. You can't be a Christian if you don't imitate Christ. And then also call to his suffering. And this is hard. This is difficult for a lot of us because I think sometimes, and we're kind of sold this, um, I think sometimes we think that following anything because we're so consumeristic that doing anything and following anything means, if, like, why would I, common sense, why would I do something if it's going to make my life harder? That's a very consumeristic way of thinking. I, I'm saying I think that way sometimes, a lot of times. I love comfort. I love doing things that bring me comfort. I love avoiding discomfort. Following Jesus means you are embracing discomfort. You embrace it. It's, it is following him in his suffering. Following Jesus truly does not give you the best life all the time that you think you deserve. It doesn't. It's a call to come and die. That's what it is. To deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. I know it's hard to hear. It says, um, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. First Peter says this, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Why are you surprised when you suffer as a Christian? Why? Do not be surprised. I'm preaching to myself. If you follow Jesus, you are a partaker in the fellowship of his suffering. And the goal for us is to more imitate Christ to grow more towards him, which inevitably means that we're going to suffer. We're going to. That's just part of the fall. So we're called to Jesus. We're called to his commands, his life, his suffering. And then finally, we're called to his kingdom, to his kingdom. Not mine, not yours, the kingdom of Jesus. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is hard too. Because what I have subconsciously in my brain and in my heart, I have subconsciously the idea that I have a better construct or blueprints for a kingdom. I think to myself, if all of these things would just go the way that I think they should go, then I'm going to be great the rest of my life. If somebody would just show up to my house, give me a briefcase full of money, I would be wonderful. (laughs) The rest of my life would be wonderful. If I could just get this thing or this person or whatever it is, we submit to his kingdom, not, not our kingdom. And I can't tell you how important this is. I can't tell you how old this problem is because it's happening in this scene in Acts 1. The disciples had followed Jesus. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but Peter was among these here. Peter had walked away from Jesus. Peter had been called a worker of Satan by Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus had announced to them that he was going to die. And Peter's idea, along with the other disciples of Messiah, was that surely he would overthrow by force the kingdom of Rome and reestablish by force the kingdom of Israel as the dominant kingdom. That's why the Messiah would come. That's what they thought, at least. They, of course, had misinterpreted multiple texts throughout the years. And they forgot to... (laughs) They forgot to factor in who God really was, that he builds a kingdom of the heart. And so what happens now is Jesus dies. Peter has denied that he even knows Jesus. He's now out of the church. He's not a disciple. He's not a follower of Jesus. Jesus has died and they watched him die and he reappears to them in a glorified state. Physical glorified Jesus. Which, by the way, if you had ever seen anyone rise from the dead and come and greet you, I would assume that your posture would be something along the lines of like, I don't know what you did, but by all means, tell me what to do, I'll do it. Because you got, I need to have like a proper fear of the person that just can just be risen from the dead like that. What happens in Acts 1 (laughs) This is crazy to me. They have a false idea still. And here's what happens. Remember, they thought you were supposed to come and overthrow the government and and set the kingdom of Israel up again. So when they had come together, they are looking at a glorified Jesus. He's about to be ascended into the heaven. They ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) 
And Jesus, way more patient than any of us, said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Can you imagine what you would, I can imagine what I would do if I were Jesus. I'd be like, you have got to be kidding me. I was risen from the dead, and here you are asking the same thing over and over again. That doesn't make any sense. The church has to be called to who Christ actually is, his kingdom, his kingdom, not ours, not our ideal, not our false ideals, his kingdom. Second thing is this. The church is called to gospel community. Man, y'all feel a little sleepy to me, so I'm not, we're going to do an exercise together, all right? The church is called to gospel community. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank, and we're going to say it together. The, the church is called to gospel. community. There's a difference between gospel community and just regular old community. What's interesting about the disciples is that they had lived their life together. They had walked together. The disciples are the first church. Jesus is the head of the church. Um, they were simply together because he had bought them. He had purchased them. It wasn't because they decided like, man, you're like me and we do the same stuff. And which there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but that can't be your gospel community. It can't be affinity based. It has to be, you're different than me, but we come into the same banner. Like we talked about, Jesus has shown us grace and we didn't deserve it. Gospel community, it's our story. It's the true church is a Christ purchased people from all different types of life stories and personalities. And it means that we have laid down our rights together and, sh and been shown tremendous grace and patience by him. The church is called to gospel community. Peter was, of course, a disciple of Jesus. He was among the 12. Peter's story is crazy. If you've been in this church for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about Peter. Um, I identify with Peter, and you should too. Peter was, Peter was the one that was so emphatic about him following Christ. Um, you don't have to show your hands, but any skepticals in the room, any, any skeptics in the room, uh, just like, Cynics where you go like, if somebody says something, I usually, if they say something and they continue to say something and they continue to be bolstered and like stand up and shout this thing, I'm like, man, they're probably, they probably don't even really believe that. <laughs> There's probably something crazy going on in their life. Peter was the one who stood up and would say and would act and would tell Jesus like, I'm the one. He got out of the boat first when Jesus walked on water. He, um, Jesus asked him to pray, and, and Peter, in order to make up for lost time, I guess, decided to try and kill the Roman soldier and just luckily chopped off his ear when Jesus was going to pray in the garden. Peter is, and the, and the climax of it is this, is Peter is at the table, the Last Supper, and all of his friends are there, and one account says this, uh, Jesus says, one of you will, will betray me. Peter stands up, and he says, I won't betray you, which first off was a lie and then he sells out every one of his friends <laughs> imagine the scene all of your friends he stands up to Jesus he goes all of them will betray you but I won't how emphatic you would think walking away from that you would know like oh well of course Peter's not going to be the one and what happens is Jesus says you will deny me three times at this point if it had been me I would have just to win the argument I'd have tried so hard, I'd be like, no way, I'm not. And maybe two times in, but just to make sure that I wasn't crazy, I for sure wouldn't have denied three times, but that's not true. There was something in Peter that was deceptive. He was deceiving himself. He denied Jesus, 
And in that moment, when he realized he had done the very thing that he said he would never do, that he sold out all of his friends and Jesus for, he became a denier. He's met face to face with the reality of his depravity, the reality of his own sin. And he turns off of Jesus, throws away the church, throws away his brotherhood. He's denied Jesus, denied discipleship, and denied the church. And what happened was Jesus didn't deny him, and neither did the church. The church is called to gospel community. In John 21, this is what happens. Peter's off. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Peter's done. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It's foretelling this story, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, which is more than just, the Bible doesn't include trivial things. That's more than just, I'm going fishing. That's like, Peter was a fisherman before Jesus came and asked him to follow him. Peter's saying, I'm going back. I'm going back to my old life. I'm done with all of this. I'm done with you guys. And you know what they did? This is gospel community. This is true church. They said to him, we will go with you. We will go with you. We won't leave you. We're gonna pursue you. We're not gonna wash our hands of you. We're not gonna act like you're not in our club. You don't believe in Jesus anymore. You don't whatever. We will go with you. You will pursue you. And then I like this next, <laughs> this next sentence. Just to be clear, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's a whole nother sermon, but leaving Jesus actually gets you nothing. <laughs> it gets you nothing. And what's happening now is the people of God who have, have not walked away from, from Jesus. Later in Acts, the Bible talks about Peter standing with the 11, meaning that he was not counted among them. There's the 11, he's standing with them. You understand what I'm saying? There's the followers of Jesus who are now pursuing this one who has denied them. This is the church at work, seven disciples pursuing their brother. They're not shaming him, but they are definitely not avoiding him. We need gospel community. There's a difference between gospel community and just regular old community. Let me share some things about it. Community is incentive-based. What have you done for me lately? As long as it benefits me, we will be friends. It lacks depth, it's self-absorbed, it's superficial, just regular old community is fragile, it's thin, and most important, it, it is avoidant and worships comfortability. That's why you become friends with people, for the most part, is because it's comfortable. There's nothing wrong with friends. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with acquaintances. I'm just saying at the end of it, it's just not the real deal. But what gospel community is and what we want to, what we have to continue to position ourselves to be in in this church is gospel community. They are together because of Jesus. That's why they're together. They're together under Jesus. They submit, uh, all of us together, we submit as a group to the authority of Jesus, which is why it's like you can be mad at me and I can say something that I didn't, that I wish I hadn't said or whatever it is, but in gospel community, we ultimately go to, come back to the places like, wait a minute, we both submit to Jesus. And so then that helps us submit one to another. 
um, we're, it, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood in gospel community, and which makes it eternal. It's, 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 it's the only actual uh, eternal relationship on this earth is according to the Bible in the church, you're my brother or you're my sister. You're not, not my wife, not husband, not marriage is not eternal, but brother and sister are. So a gospel community means that we are family and really actually more blood than our blood family. We are bought with blood. We are redeemed and washed with blood in this church family and this is eternal family. Um, it's deep, it's not thin, it's not fragile, it's not shallow as to avoid conflict. It, it, it follows along with Proverbs 27, 6, which faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A friend gives you faithful wounds, an enemy avoids it. It's caring, and most important, it's pursuing. This is what happened with Peter. These disciples are pursuing him. He had walked away. Who do you know in your life that has walked away? Stop treating church like it's some sort of culture club. It's not. Pursue them. Be with them. Be normal around them. Invite them. Go look for them. I, there's a thing that I hear a lot. You should pursue more than just people that have walked away. You should pursue each other. But I, I hear a lot um, this kind of what I think is an excuse, but it's when something goes south in someone's life or uh, when there's a need, when there's a grieving or whatever it is, I've, I hear this all the time. People will say, well, I didn't call them because I didn't, want to, I didn't know if they wanted to be called. I was really, really worried. Like you are so holy and priestly that you're just so worried that they're gonna be upset in that one moment. Never in the history of the world that anybody in their right mind upset with being loved on too much. Call them, pursue them, pursue people, pursue each other. Make gift baskets, uh, think about them, pray for them, and especially those that have walked away from the faith. Man, you need people to do that with you as well. True church is a pursuit of gospel community. It's more than just hangout. It's pursuing and fighting for each other. Third thing, I'm gonna go through these quickly. The church is, so first, the church is called, um, the church is called to Jesus, then the church is called to gospel community, and now the church is called to power. We are not called uh, to be, we're, we are not called to be weak in the church. We're called to true power. Now, a calling to Jesus means we identify our weakness. In him, we identify in ourselves and we say, I need Jesus to make me strong, but we're not called to be a weak force on earth. We're called to be a powerful force. And the way that happens is this. Jesus tells them, but you will receive power. This is coming from the words of the mouth of God. You, church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I could preach a series on this thing, but I'll do it quickly. I wanna say a few things. The American church is bored. It's comfortable. It's lame. It's overweight. The Bible Belt Church has become that. It's become nothing more than a social and culture club at times. And we've tricked ourselves and each other into believing that the Holy Spirit is as believable as any mythical creature. He's not real. He doesn't get the praise that he's due. And there's no power in the church. 
this is not every church, but by and large, we have lost our power. And I'm just telling you that the thing that you need the most and that I need the most is to stop being so scared of God. You should have healthy fear of the Lord, but being scared of the work of God? Let's open our mind and our heart to say what we need is the power of God the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. So that means that we pray for that more. That means that we, that means that we surrender to it more. That means that we stop questioning the, his authority. Just remember that like Father, Son, and Spirit formed the earth. Spirit formed the earth. That wasn't something that God the Father did by himself. The Son and the Spirit formed the earth, spoke light into existence. Elohim, powerful God, God the Spirit. So I, I wanna encourage you, man, I hope that 2024, for you and for me, for your personal life and for, and for this church is, a, is, a, is more maturity towards worshiping and surrendering and listening to God the Holy Spirit. There are many of us in this room that have been stale and stagnant for a long time and partly it's because we're so skeptical of God the Holy Spirit. And I just wanna invite you, pray to him, ask the Holy Spirit to come and change your skepticism, come and change your staleness. Ask him to move into your house. Amen? The church is called to the power. The church is lastly, it's called to multiply. But you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Can you imagine? Physical body lifted up, cloud takes him out. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes out of nowhere. These are angels and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The church is called to multiply. I wanna point out a few things here. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, at, first off, he says, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, you know, maybe it's time for us to stop trying to operate outside of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, uh, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What we think about is that it's easier to start with the ends of the earth because it just, uh, the, the way that we trick our brain, the way that enemy tricks our brain into thinking like other cultures, I'm gonna be that, I'm gonna be a missionary to the ends of the earth without ever giving any thought to where God has planted you here. Because this is how this works. Jerusalem was the town that they were in. Judea was the surrounding area and then Samaria was the surrounding region and then the ends of the earth. Jesus is very clear here. There is an order to this. Start in your town. Don't romanticize ends of the earth. By all means, you don't even know who your neighbor is. You don't know what they need, and as soon as your neighbor does something you don't like, you go, well, that didn't work. And what Jesus is saying is like, you need to first submit to and surrender to the Holy Spirit and then do the work to know who lives next door to you. Do the work to be a hyper-local person. Be a missionary here. 
be an evangelist here and now. Let me ask you a question. This idea that the grass is greener on the other side, that's kind of ingrained in us. That's part of the fall, I think. It's not true, by the way. But that's ingrained in us. Here's the question. Is God sovereign? Is he a sovereign God? You know what that means? Is God sovereign over your life? Does he care about your life? Does he know the details of your life? Did God make you? Yes. If it's true that he's sovereign, it's true that he made you, is it not also true that he sovereignly placed you exactly where you are? Even in that chair today that you're in. God sovereignly placed you there today. Why did you come in the cold? Why did you show up here? Well, if it's true that God is sovereign and it's true that he made you, it's also true that he placed you here today and he placed you in your dorm, on your street, in your house. And some of you may be thinking, I, there's, probably a, there's a lot of people that have been in this church that have thought, man, this is just a pit stop. This is just like, I can't even believe we have to live here, whatever it is. And I just wanna say to you, like, the Bible talks about, do not, do not think about what you will do tomorrow. Do not think about going into this town or, or whatever. It, it literally says that you should ask, not will I do this or will I do that, but what does the Lord want? What does the Lord will? And if you are, if it's true that God is sovereign, and it's true that he's overseeing your life and he's more powerful than you, then you are here for a reason. Be here. Be here. Do the work of an evangelist. The ends of the earth purposely come last. It takes faithful missionary work on your street with real people to truly build the kingdom. We need to become hyper-locals. That's not sexy, but it is required. It's not easy, but it is effective. And finally this, we wanna be a multiplying church. Every community group that we have, we wanna multiply gospel communities. It needs to be in the DNA of our group to go like, we're not, life is short. We're not, we're not just gonna be us four no more. We're not doing that. Part of the reason of that is, by the way, is because we start to lose the gospel for ourselves when we start, when we start to lose it for other people. I mean, that's the bottom line. You lose maturity when you start only gazing at yourself, which is what I wanna talk about next. We need to reclaim, we need to reclaim the truth of the Bible. And the truth is this, your life, yours, is a vapor. It's a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. It is over before you can blink. I'm not, I want you to have a healthy fear of it but it's a vapor. And then there's eternity. So if you're in Christ, eternity means something you look forward to. Paul says we grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope. We have hope. If you're not in Christ, right now, this moment, you are destined to an eternity of death. That is separation from God, it is hell. That's a real place. Your life is a vapor here one day and gone the next. But it also means this, in the church, we have to reclaim our sense of urgency. We have to. It doesn't do us any good to just like go, man, I hope things work out. I, I really just, I like the church. I'm, it's comfortable to me. It's whatever it is. 
really what we have to do in order to be the church is we gotta get that urgency in us to say, man, I, we are here today and gone the next. And if that's real, what the Bible says is real about the, the afterlife and death, then I need to tell people about Jesus. And I need to myself perk up and follow Jesus and pay attention. Life is a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And this had to be told to the disciples. Because here's what happened. While they were gazing into heaven as, as Jesus went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking? Give me your attention. Come on, hey. Let's, I get it, that was crazy, you know, but it's, it's time to go. I mean, the sense in the text, in the language, is that you couldn't even barely see the soles of his feet before angels were telling him, let's, let's go, let's get it into gear. Here one day and gone the next. This Jesus, who has taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go. He's not here. You understand? That's what they're saying. It's like, he's not here. Which is a whole other thing. It's like, for those of us that feel like we're missing the presence of Jesus in our life, stop gazing. Stop navel gazing, stop gazing like them, stop thinking about your problems and your situation or whatever it is, and get on the road. Get on the road, spend your life, spend it. As a worshiper of Christ, follow him. Um, in Song of Solomon, it's a, it's a strange book, but it's, you know, I'm not gonna wanna get into it too much, but in Song of Solomon, there's this story of this bride and this groom and they're together and they, you just keep hearing the first few chapters of them talk about how beautiful they are and they're like, they're you know, embracing each other and she's looking at him and describing him and he's looking at her and describing her. And then at some point, and really this is, it's the story of, of Jesus and his church, which lets you know that he has intimate love for us. But at one point you start to see it shift, the, the scenery changes out of the blue and she's now describing him from a distance. And the bride says things like, um, my love, my fair one, you're like a gazelle. I see you hopping from hilltop to hilltop. I see you, you know, all this romantic imagery. And then he says to her, my bride, my fair one, I love you too. Come with me. Come with me. It's as if to say we, it's, we've had our moment. Now, if you want to be with me, we need to go. It's time to go. Jesus doesn't leave or forsake us, and he's patient beyond belief, long-suffering. There's nothing that you can do or not do to ever leave being a son or daughter of God. But if maybe if you're missing the presence of God today, I would just say it's time to perk up and get on the hilltops. You know what I'm saying? Tell people about the Lord. Go do the work. Stop thinking only about you and your life and what you have or don't have or whatever it is, man. Let's be, a, let's be a glad and generous people according to what happened in Acts 2. Stop gazing. The rest of the story in Acts is profound because what happened is Peter, who was a bumbling mess, Peter hears this. Jesus tells him, go wait, disciples, Peter included. Go wait for me. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So they go to the upper room. And they wait, and they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It happened right at the right time. It's like God orchestrated it. Because there was devout men, according to the Bible, that had gathered in Jerusalem from all over. These were, these were devout men who did not know Jesus, did not like Jesus, they hated Jesus, they hated everything he stood for. 
They were, they were Jewish men. And Peter, who all of those were Jewish men, had been saved by Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And Peter, who couldn't put a coherent sentence together, who acted like a fool, Peter preaches a sermon that would blow your mind because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he ends it by saying this to these devout men. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. And their response, thousands of them, their response was, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Well, who has the power to do that? God. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And he tells them, you need to be baptized, you need to lay down your life. And the church is born. And in the first church, here's the result. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Devoted themselves to praying. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together not disunified, they had all things in common. There was no dissension. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. These people were selling everything. You know what happens when you get this close to God? You give everything else up. You buy the field. The treasure does not matter. You become a faithful tither. You, prefer, you know what I mean? It's like you, you pursue him. That's my prayer for our church. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want that. I want that. And if you do too, I just say, let's pay attention. Let's perk up. Let's pay attention. Let's follow Jesus. Let's be a multiplying church. We're called to Jesus. We're called to gospel community. We're called to the power of the Holy Spirit and we're called to multiply. So the, I mean, the question is this, as cheesy as it sounds, it's like, what are you waiting for? It's just stop gazing. Stop gazing. Spend your life. Live your life and I, but live it under Jesus. The whole world is telling you to live your best life. Like the, the, the world would preach a sermon to you that would say like the same kinds of things, it would be, but it would be a different result. It would be like stop wasting your life on other people and go do what's best for you all the time, every time. But what I'm telling you is stop, that's empty. That's immediate and eternal death. I'm telling you stop wasting your life on yourself. <laughs> I'm telling you the opposite of that. Start spending your life for the kingdom of Jesus. Do what he says. Be obedient to him. And what's interesting is what you get in return for that. Now, this is not why we do it, but what we get in return for that is we get abundant life. Spend it on people that aren't named you. Spend it on Christ. Let's stand together.